Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Good evening. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, We still may have some stragglers dribbling in as they arrive, so I'll just fill them in on anything that they might have missed. Um, An announcement for you, if I remember to do this again, I will. I wrote it in great big letters. There is no class next week. It is spring break for our uh, school district, and our church also gets a break on Wednesday night. So uh, you will get next week off to uh, just keep loving and learning and practicing Wherever you are, if you are a parent and you get to do that with your wonderful children every night next week, that would be super great. And if you're doing something else, that would be wonderful also. Um, I know. You are always being schooled. That's it, Ron. Um, We are going to plant our feet in Leviticus chapter 19 tonight. If you would like to open up in your Bibles to that, we're going to do something a little different tonight. I'm going to actually read this entire chapter with you because we did not have a sermon on Leviticus 19. We had a sermon on one of the principles and truths of this passage. Uh, But as I was thinking about what we might want to do to build on that sermon, I wanted to take you back to this passage of Scripture, which is a high ethical chapter in Scripture. This is an application of what does it mean to love God and is based in part on the Ten Commandments and on what does it mean for those of us that name the name of God to reflect him in the world. There are some really interesting things in this passage that I just want you to notice as we go through it. And um, one of those is how the material that God is talking to us about is tied to him. You will, you will hear over and over again, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. And this word, Yahweh, again, is the covenantal name of God. This is that embracing, loving, caring, I'm in your corner, we're going to do this together, and you're going to be a reflection of me, God. This is that tender name, if you will. Um, and if you ever see, I am the Lord your God, then it is, I am Yahweh Elohim. And it is the combination of the strength and the majesty and the magnificence and the power of God with the tenderness, love, and movement of God in our lives. And what I want for you to see in Leviticus chapter 19 is God's heart. God's heart. And we're going to be talking about God's heart tonight. That's our big point. When you consider yourself in your relationship with God and the spiritual growth that you want to um, emulate, what I want for you to do is think about how well are you doing taking on the characteristics of God's heart, God's attachment, God's movement toward his creation. Because you and I are supposed to move toward people also. And so what I've done is uh, listed out for you on the sheet that you have on front and back. Uh, The front is about holiness, which I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about. And the back side is the practical application where we're going to be looking at the movement of God using terminology of our culture. Like he uses the word alien. I put the word immigrant. Oh, yes, the word of God is going to step on our feet tonight. Absolutely. We're just going to let him teach us about our heart. Now, we're not going to solve the world's problems. That's not what I want to do. What I want you to do is to see God's heart for people who are disenfranchised and are in a different country. I don't, I don't have answers. Like, you don't have answers. But we have to have heart. And we have to bring these people before the throne of grace on a regular basis to ask that they would be treated with the dignity and respect that they probably deserve because they are God's people. They are God's creation. Some of them are Christian, others are not. I don't have good political answers. We're not going to turn that into here. But you will notice that there are going to be these words that we're going to be looking at, which are the high ethical moments that you and I, as we live out our faith with God, has a real effect in the world. That's Leviticus chapter 19. But we're going to read it as though we're Jews. So I don't know how Jewish you feel tonight. Uh, We're going to read it through the law, and uh, we're going to make some practical applications with that. So um, let's ask the Lord uh, for his blessing 
on our study. And then let's start with Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1, and just read this. And I want you to see um, how these things are tied to the character of God. So the first question that I'm going to have you talk about tonight is, what do you see are some of the big statements that are tied to God's character? And what does that tell you about God? So as we read this, you might want to think, oh, I want to remember that. What, what are some of the statements that are tied to God's character that really get your attention? And what does that tell you about God and his heart? So when we're done, I'm just going to turn you loose to talk about that tonight. Um, as you consider how you will reflect him in the world yourself. So let's open up uh, with a word of prayer and then let's read this. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that we're, we are a group of people who want to take your word and put it into our lives in such a way that it comes alive. And while we look at Leviticus 19 through the lens of Christ, we're going to hear it uh, through the lens of the law, the Torah, and we ask, Lord, that you will help for us to really see your heart tonight and how we can take these truths, pick one or two or three of them, make them come alive or keep them alive in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Leviticus 19.1. I'm reading, I'm reading from the New International Version, 1982 version. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father. You must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It will be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it's impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because he has desecrated what is holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyards a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of, the, of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in all your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your fields with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a woman who is a slave girl promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment, yet they are not to be put to death because she has not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. Do not eat any meat with blood in it. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Do not cut the hair off the sides of your head or clip the, off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or a land uh, will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritualists for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. When an alien lives with him in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you are aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not, be, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights and honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt." 
Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Here's your question before we dive into some of these things. What caught your attention about this passage? For me, the blind and the disabled. I had forgotten that was in there. When I read that, I went, oh my goodness, could you imagine Jewish people going around and little Jewish boys putting stumbling blocks in front of people who had cataracts and were blind? I can. I could probably do that. This is a passage that really talks to us about very specific ways that the character of God is to live in us. What caught your attention? I want you to talk about that in this passage. The second thing is, what does this tell you about God's heart? And this idea of, I tried to accent it for you, you read it, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Why would he have to repeat that so many times? What is God trying to say to us that we don't want to miss that message? So I'm going to give you about 10 or so minutes to chat about that, and I'll come down and check on you. Uh, What caught your attention? Why did it do that? And what do you think um, this tells us about God's heart, especially using the terminology, I am the Lord? Why would God say that? Go ahead, get started. All right, if you would um, grab your sheet. Keep some of those ideas in mind. I want to get back to them later. I want to talk to you about holiness and then go back to some of the parts of Leviticus that might not make a lot of sense to us just at a first read. Um, Holiness is really about being dedicated. Holiness is one of those words that we often think of as super religious people, and we have created a dichotomy within our culture between what is Christian and what is not, what is uh, Bible-oriented and what is secular. And what God is doing here is he is saying this, I want you to live your life in such a way that people will know that you belong to me. That's what holiness means, that you belong to God. Put plain and simple in practical everyday living. So when you, when you are making decisions, you have to ask yourself, does this behavior Does this way of relating, does this look and style indicate in some way that I am God's child? And there are some things that are easier than others to make that decision on, which you would probably agree with me on. But holiness is based off the idea of separate, and there is within the word holy the root word for cut, to cut, Um, And theologians debate whether or not this is really the foundational idea, but let me give you the idea as it relates to us and the world. We are to live in the world, but not be of the world. We are to be cut. Uh, Circumcision for the Christian is circumcision of the heart, and circumcision is cutting, cutting something away. It's cutting the flesh away. It's cutting the influence of the world away. And the whole idea of holy is based on the idea of something separated or cut off. Ultimately, it is based on God being totally different than us, being pure and righteous and good and perfect. And what you will see in Leviticus 19 is he's trying to shine a light on what that meant for the law so that people who would where his name would be separate from the cultures around them. They would be distinct. So that when they moved um, around the cultures and when they lived within the boundaries of their land, people would notice that there was something different here. On six days, you shall work, but on the seventh, you shall have my Sabbath. There was no other culture that required no working on the seventh day. So you would just enter into the Jewish land and you would find out that there's something different here. And the idea of Sabbath is based on the idea of trust, that when you obey God, he will take care of you. And Sabbath became a tangible reminder that on that day you are not to work so that I can take care of you and show you that I'm alive, I'm real, and I'm here for you. And then you had the year of Jubilee, which was the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And on that year, that entire year, you were not supposed to work at all. They never practiced that, from what we can tell. In fact, part of the reason they went into exile is they never practiced the Sabbaths of the land. And if you were to add them up, the 70-year exile equals the 70-year of Sabbaths that they did not practice from the time they got out of Egypt. God made the land rest because the people would not. 
Is he serious about the things that we don't understand that he tells us to do? Yes, he is. That's what holiness is. It doesn't mean that we always get it, but it simply means that there's something here about God that we're really trying to emulate in some way that we might realize later. And there are things in today's Christianity that we look at and we're wondering, why should I really forgive people? Why should I go the extra mile? Why should I turn the other cheek? Why should I have these disciplines of prayer? Why should I do that? Because I don't really see a great benefit. And it is through the living out of those things that we get more and more of the character of God and more and more of the blessing of God. We kind of know that equation, but when it comes down to us, we're asking ourselves, is that really the way that I live my life? There are some interesting things in here. One of those is, why don't you mix two kinds of um, materials together? Remember what the word holy is based on? Why don't you mix two kinds of materials together? So that you can demonstrate to people that there is something different here. And we're going to actually wear our clothes to remind ourselves that there is something different here. Isn't that interesting? So my very clothing will remind me that there is something different here. We, we all know about the distinctiveness in the food preparation, for those of us that have been Christian for a really long time. And we often think that that is for sanitation reasons. Well, that is a benefit but it also means that there's something different here. There was a benefit, but God is saying, I want you to be different. I want you to be separate. I, I have to get to tattoos. I love tattoos. I mean, not that I have any tattoos, that I have them all over my body, but I've got to get to tattoos because tattoos are kind of the rage right now, right? They are. And scripture right here says, thou shalt have no tattoos, right? And so for those people that look on that and they go, oh, what do I do when there is an Old Testament statement that we're not really sure what to do with in the New Testament. Well, let me just put it to you this way. People would use tattoos for a number of reasons in this culture from the best that we can understand them. And they would actually inscribe prayers and blessings of their pagan gods all over them. In fact, there are some cultures in Asia that still do this. Saw it in a National Geographic magazine once of all of these prayers over every inch of this holy man's body were prayers to keep the bad spirits away and to invoke the spirit of the God that he served. So that's one of them, is that some way, somehow, those tattoos would have magical properties in them and they would allow for me to somehow have special um, strength or special protection in some way. Uh, we, we know that if you mark yourself, there is no power in that. But yet, if a person were to have a tattoo thinking that God would somehow protect them from there, that would be the wrong reason to get a tattoo under any circumstance. Because God does not operate that way. And you know, well, maybe you don't. When, when you stop reading the Bible, you get superstition instead. I don't know if you know that. When people stop reading the Bible, they get superstition. So finish this. God helps them who help. Chapter and verse. It doesn't exist. It is a superstition. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps them who love him. And sometimes he crushes them in the process of helping them. We've, we've talked about that. We will take sayings and ideas that somehow make sense to us and we will make them Christianized when we don't study the Bible. And some of this is don't do that. You're looking at Leviticus 19. It says don't, don't write on yourself. Don't put images of gods on yourself. Don't do anything that indicates you're like the rest of all of these people because you're not. You represent me wherever you go, even how you cut your hair, gentlemen. You will look different because you're not going to cut this part of your hair. Have you seen an Orthodox Jew with those long curls that are right here? They are still practicing this. And you can tell an Orthodox Jew from anybody else in the entire world because they are the only people who do that. And they have said, I have dedicated myself. I am holy. I've, I'm special. I've put myself into the service of the, the God that I believe in. And this is one of the ways that you can tell. So every single day they wake up and they go, I am in the service of God. So here's my question for you. When you look at this passage, what do you do every single day that lets you know that you're in the service of the holy God who created you? Now, we, we have more with the Holy Spirit in us than what the Jews had. And they had all of these reminders even in the clothes they wore and the way that they prepared their food, they were immersed into God has pulled us out of Egypt. He has separated us from the tyranny of slavery. 
He has separated us from the tyranny of the pagan religions around us. And he has given us the law, which is the way that we relate to him. And we are to be, and I don't know if you know this, the Jews were to be a light to the nations. They failed. They were to be a light to the nations. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did you read it in here? The second most greatest command is contained within this passage. What did they do a lot of times to their neighbors and to the Samaritans and to the disenfranchised and the people that were caught in adultery? They ended up being accidentally, I don't think they set out to do this, way more legalistic. And they lost the heart of God by trying to keep the way of God. Ooh, that'll preach. How are you doing keeping the heart of God while you practice the way of God? And this is that dynamic tension. And Leviticus 19 sets out to give us some examples on what that could actually look like for us. And that was what the sermon was about on Sunday. What could it look like if we practice the heart of God in the way of God in a contemporary issue like foster care? And we had a tremendous response. We had over 200 families say, 287 families, I think it was, that said they would pray for the movie. We had over 200 families that said that they would be willing to put their arms around and do wraparound around foster care. We had like, uh, I think 20, maybe 50 families. I think it was maybe 50 that said they were interested in pursuing the idea of fostering. I want you to know something about Christ Church. Christ Church is a church that wants to do the right things, to take the heart of God and try to put them on display. Wouldn't it be amazing for somebody who didn't know Jesus that came from a broken family to land in a real Christian family? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. That's, that's Leviticus 19. That's what God is trying to get at here. And I don't want you to miss that in the midst of all of these things that are going on. But it leads me to ask you, how are you doing with your own dedication to the Lord? That's, that's what this chapter begs of us. And so remember, there are three things we're looking at in this class. Do you lean into Jesus? When, when, when you're going through your week. And so we're going to actually talk a little bit about that tonight. And I want you to kind of expose, if you will, how do you think you're doing with that? Because I want to take you back to there because that's a skill. Are, are you praying? Are you thinking? Are you setting your mind? Are you using the Lectio Divina? Are you taking some time for silence and solitude? How are you doing leaning into Jesus? This is just a friendly reminder where you can say, I think I'm doing okay. Or, you know, it's really been crazy and I'm struggling with leaning. Okay, that's the number one thing. Second one is a word-centered life. If you don't have a word-centered life, you have a superstitious-centered life. You just have a bunch of ideas that you don't know are true or not. So how are you doing with a word-centered life? And the third one is, what is the spiritual practice that really resonates with you? What I want you to see in Leviticus chapter 19, these are spiritual practices. Making a meal for an immigrant family that's here and opening up your home is a spiritual practice. If you've done that, you know the blessing it is to invite somebody into your home and to sit down with them and to show them kindness. Uh, when, when you're not harvesting all the way to the corners so that people who are poor have sustenance, you're practicing a spiritual discipline of trust and not being greedy. You're leaving something. My question is, how, how are we doing practicing not being greedy? So when you look at this passage, I just want for you to grab the idea of how are you doing really demonstrating that you yourself are a disciple of Jesus. So let me give you a couple ideas on that that I have thought a lot about. The first one is this, your style of relating and your, this, the way that you approach people and handle situations is predominantly the number one way that you demonstrate your faith in Christ. Do you attack back when you are attacked? Are you patient? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you merciful? Do you have those kind of qualities and characteristics? This is our number one way because we are not given in the new covenant a dress code. We are not given a tattoo code. We are not given a food code. In fact, we know from Acts chapter 10 that the food code fell apart with Cornelius because God said, if I declare it to be clean, it is clean. Get up, Cornelius, and, or get, get up and eat. And Cornelius was a representation of all of that. And we recognize that at this point, we have tremendous freedoms that the Jews did not have. But the problem is we can lose our distinctiveness in the culture and look just like everybody else. Do you ever wonder about that? I do. It's a little musing of Peter. How would somebody know that I'm a Christian if I wear the same American-ish, you know, decent clothes and drive the same American-ish kind of cars and 
have the same kind of Americanish schedule. What really sets me apart? It's being accused of being kind standing in a Walmart aisle when nobody else is. It's opening up a door for somebody. It's listening to an individual. It's giving them focus. It's the ability to walk up to somebody who has wronged you and you forgive them even if you have not received an apology. That's what makes us distinct, first and foremost. The second thing that makes us distinct is not that we go around looking all holy, if I could say that to you. If you could think of like the most holy person, you know, a big cross here or, you know, I don't know, a cap or a collar or, or something that, that really sets us out. But it is, it is an attitude of life that I am willing to follow the movement of God in my life if I feel compelled to do that. We haven't talked a lot about that. But this idea of praying and doing, Lord, who needs for me to say a word of encouragement for them today? I want to encourage you to pray that. You may be sitting next to a colleague um, or um, working with somebody at a job site that is worn out and wiped out. And that person will look professional and put together. And when you talk to that person and you say, I just want you to know that I really appreciate this about you. And I want you to know that I, I just really want to thank you for the way that you handled that situation. I promise you, you will probably get a shocked look. You see, the attitude by which we go through the world and we start sending out our feelers for people is really, really critical. Let me tell you about the lady at McDonald's. I saw her today. She's back from her... Um, uh, from, from her funeral. And so we didn't have a lot of time to talk because she had like two things in her hand that she had to go deliver to the outside truck that was sitting out there. And I didn't want to get her in trouble. But she kind of came by and she stopped by and she said hi. And she had all these things. And I said, well, hey, how's it going? And she said, well, I'm, I'm back. And I said, well, how did your kids do? Well, it, it was okay, but I'm just like really worn out. And I said, I can really imagine. She said, I only have to do this for two more years and then I'm out of here. And I said, well, where are you going in two years? I'm going to Phoenix. And I said, really, what's in Phoenix? Well, my boyfriend and I are going to go to Phoenix. We're going to live in Phoenix. And I said, well, I lived in Phoenix, graduated from Phoenix. And I said, that would really be kind of cool for you to be able to go there. I mean, Phoenix is a great place, but you know what? How, how are you doing? And you could see she was super frazzled. And I just told her, you know, I just really want the best for you. And, she had a, and I said, I'm getting out of your way because I know you got to go deliver. And just there she went. But every time I come into the store, guess who makes eyes and comes over and just says, hey, here I am. Just kindness, just kindness. It's just really kind of a cool thing to have that going. I think that's our second thing. The, the attitude by which we carry ourselves is the second thing that we actually have. And, and the last one, I want to say the third thing that really helps us to be holy for me is this. I need spiritual practices that I know connect me. I've got to have them. And I know that we're working on it in the class, but I do want you to know that if I can have a sense of connection with God in that moment, I know that he is giving me what I need. So coming to church, reading my Bible, praying in the car, being outside, having conversations with people, those kinds of things really connect me because I I call it looping back to them. Because we get going in our life and we need to come back to something that gives us life. And a holy person goes back and gets life from the author of life. A designated Christian goes back to God and says, I need to have this from you. So my other point is, how are you doing with those practices so that you can get that from us? I think that will make you different in the world around you because we don't have the distinctiveness that the Jewish people had, because we are to live in every culture, we are of every tribe, we are of of every race, we are of every nation, and we are dedicated to God within that culture. And so Leviticus 19 just simply asks, how are you doing with that? And I think that's what holiness is actually talking about with that. So um, I do want to take another little break. We're going to do this a little differently. It's 722. I want to give you till 730 and um, tell on yourself. How do you think you're doing leaning into Jesus? How do you think you're doing with a word-centered life? And how do you think you're doing with finding a spiritual practice that is good for you? 
If it's still rough, just say, I, I'm just really kind of in this period of time where it's a little bit more difficult for me, or I got really, really distracted. Remember, you're among friends here. There are no stones here because we do all of this together. Um, and so I would just want you to stop doing that. And then we're going to flip over and look at Leviticus chapter 19 from the standpoint of what some of these big ideas are uh, from a practical standpoint. Um, and then we're going to just kind of land the class with you selecting something. I just am warning you, selecting something you want to do over the next two weeks that is in the spirit of Leviticus 19. In the spirit of Levit- Leviticus 19. Uh, and a way for you to make a difference in the life of another person in some fashion. Um, based on what Leviticus 19 is telling us about the heart of God. So take until 7.30. Um, tell on yourself. If you, get, if you don't really want to do that, just sit in silence, and I'll know that this is totally going to fail. That'll be great. And, uh, or talk about anything else you want to. So, If you would turn over to the back side, let's, let's just kind of look at a couple of these elements here. Um, I thought that these were interesting. If you're, if you're interested in some of this background material, this will be interesting to you. We won't spend a lot of time on this top part. But I just wanted to give this to you so that you could see how uh, Leviticus chapter 19 is weaving in and out of the commands of God. So on the left-hand side of the page, you see it says Leviticus 19. And uh, when you look at the verse number, those are all the verses in Leviticus 19. And then on the right-hand side, you see the Ten Commandments with Exodus chapter 20. And all of the verses on that side are from Exodus chapter um, 20. So I just didn't redo every single one of those. So the left side is Leviticus 19. The right side is Exodus chapter 20, which was the actual command themselves. And so you can see this idea of honoring your parents, the use of the Sabbath, um, not worshiping other gods, uh, not stealing, not having false oaths, and um, this statement, again, about the identity of God. So here, here is one of the big points uh, on why I think God says, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God, I am Yahweh, is that he wants for us to really know that these are ways that we can emulate his character, that he has brought us out of our bondage. And we have used in this class Egypt to identify our pre-Christ state so that um, Egypt equals not being saved. And if you want to think of the moving away, um, going through the Red Sea as your conversion experience, um, your, your statement of faith, your confession of Christ, um, your baptismal experiences, those kinds of things. That's kind of that typology, the conversion experience there. And then when you reach the other side, that begins the wilderness wanderings. And that's what we're doing right now is that we're moving through life to our own promised land uh, when we get to see Christ um, in glory. And so the Jordan on the other side is kind of like our death to go over into um, our promised land. Um, And so the typology of that, and even what God is using here, is he's going back to Egypt, and he's just simply saying, I have saved you, I have separated you, I have won over the gods of Egypt, and I want you to remember who I am. I want you to remember what's important to me. I want you to remember that I am powerful. I want you to remember that I am capable of delivering all of these things that I have told you. And for me, this is the inspiration of Leviticus chapter 19. I, Peter... I, I, Peter, will serve you, God, who is fully capable to deliver on everything that you want me to do. You will make a way. You will help me to accomplish that. And even when I don't understand it, you will bless me as I honor you. Now, remember that our obedience is not based upon our understanding. It is based on our trust. It's not based on our understanding. It's based on our trust. Do I really trust him even when I don't know how things work? So that in the living out of my faith, I get to see that it really does make sense. It really does improve life. It really does move me forward. It really does ease um, the issues of my life. It, it brings healing. It, it helps me in my relationships. But as if I look at the beginning of uh, the commands and I just say, I just am not going to do that, then I'm not going to experience the blessings that are associated with something really, really difficult. And I think this is what's hard for us and hard for them in Leviticus. It's hard to leave the edges of your crops when you're hungry. It's hard for you to welcome a stranger in when you don't speak the same language, they look really different from you, and you don't know whether or not they're safe. It's hard. 
It's hard. And God is saying, I am with you. Remember, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember who I am. And I am with you now. And I know you're scared. And I know that you can only see so far. But it's me. Remember, it's me. I talked to um, a friend of mine years and years ago. They've been hurt by a lot of churches. This, is, this is, doesn't have a good ending. The story does not. And um, I, was, I was leading in another ministry, and my friend was having what I would just simply call, for lack of a better term, an anxiety attack about leadership. Um, she grew up in a ministry family, and um, she believed that whenever um, her parents were forced to leave, it was because the church wanted to make a shift in ministers. And she developed some wounds as a result of that experience. And we were making some really big changes that I was the mouthpiece of in this ministry. And I remember sitting across from her, and I'm going to call her Sarah. Sarah is my all-purpose name for this. And I was sitting across from her at the table, and I said, Sarah, I know that this is really hard, but remember, this is me. This is your friend. We, we have sat on your porch together. We have raised our children together with our families. This is me. This is Peter. And this is what came out of her mouth. Well, I know but you're just like all the other leaders that I have known. That was not a true statement. That cut me. But that's what we say to God when we go, yeah, I know you're God, but I'm going to do my own thing. That feeling, that sink, I mean, I can feel it now, that sinking feeling of giving and loving and sharing that is not reciprocated hurts God just like it hurts us. Leviticus 19 is filled with that. Remember, Peter, it's me. 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 And I'm going, ah, are you like all these other gods? And God is going, no, no, I I won over all of them. (laughs) Do you remember the stories? Well, I wasn't there. I know, but do you remember the stories? Go back and and, and reminisce. It's why we tell the stories. It's why we, we do all of that. But remember that this is me. So one of the things I do want you to think about tonight is just to remember who God is as he calls you into these things. So here are some ethical applications from Leviticus 19. Care for the poor and the immigrant population. Why? Because God is God. That, I, these are statements that he has made because God is God. And, and I changed the word alien to immigrant because that's our issue. I don't have any great answers. I just will give that to you to um, roll over in your mind. Two, treat each other ethically and fairly by not stealing. Don't deceive each other. Don't lie. Don't slander. Don't give false testimony. Why? Because I am God. I am Yahweh. Number three, live in peace, kindness, love, and mercy with your neighbors, which means in the, in the actual text, don't exploit, don't rob, don't withhold wages, um, don't endanger your neighbor's life. Why? Because I'm God. Remember who I am, Peter. Remember, remember what I stand for. Number four, treat the disabled with kindness and care, watching out for them. Specifically, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind person. Why? Because I am God. Number five, use your power justly and fairly, which means don't act unjustly. Don't show partiality against the powerless. Don't give preferential treatment to the powerful. Don't judge people in your community, or sorry, judge people in your community with justice. Why? Because I am God. Remember who I am, Peter. Remember who I am. Six, you will love everyone. Who? now he's meddling. <laughs> I have fierce conversations with people to help them not take vengeance or harbor a grudge. You will love your neighbor like yourself. Why? I am Yahweh. That idea of fierce conversations comes from rebuke your neighbor so that your neighbor, you, you will not share in the guilt of your neighbor. Um, it's a great way to keep neighbors, by the way. Number seven, <laughs> Keep the commands of God. Respect the elderly. Care for the immigrant because you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Why do I act this way? Because I am Yahweh your guide. Number nine is for me the most significant one on there from this standpoint. And let me just say this to you. And even as an elder, this is the way I practice my eldering. Remember the pain that people are in because you were in pain once. Remember the shame that people will bear because you were in shame once. Remember the agony and the difficulty of dealing with a situation because you were in agony and difficulty in a situation. This is the foundation of love each other the way that you would like to be loved by getting in touch with the character of God in you, not the selfishness in you, but the character of God. And I remember that when I am wounded, 
that when somebody comes along and puts their arm around me and treats me in a way that is meaningful, that brings healing. And there are times that we struggle with doing a good job with that. But number nine, I just want you to know, number nine is the most important one for me because it keeps me in touch. And I try really hard to really have the empathy with people who are struggling. And so why? Because God treated me that way, that's why. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another in Christ, just uh, forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Am I grateful for the forgiveness? Will I extend it to somebody else? Why? Because I was treated that way. That's what number nine is. Number 10, establish and maintain economic justice in buying and selling. Why? Because I'm Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And 11, willingly take on the way of God. Why? I'm Yahweh. The last one was um, do my do my commands. So I'm looking at all of those things out of this passage. This is a wonderful ethical passage, and we could probably add some more ethical points, but these are the ones that God has said, I want to remind you of these, and I want you to go out and do things like this. I want you to go out and act in these ways. And in Christ, if you remember, the law of God is written on our heart by the Spirit of God, which is why we don't have the law written out. In Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verses, starting in verse 33, it says, the day will come when a neighbor will not say, no God, because you will know me, because I have written my laws on your heart. When we become Christian and we digest the word and we use the word and we walk with God, we are actually a living embodiment of what it really means to be the character of God, which is why holiness, the way we're describing it tonight, is really important is that as you move through your community and as you interact with people, you're actually leaving a scent. You're leaving a scent, the scent of Christ. And some people will find that scent really beautiful and other people will turn up their noses to that. Paul talks about this um, in Corinthians. I forget exactly where it was. I'm just going off my head right now. If somebody finds it, let me know. But you have the aroma of Christ in you. And to some, it is the smell of death. And to others, it is the smell of life. Wherever you go, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are actually representing God, which is really kind of cool. So act ethically, act morally, act justly. Go with what you think you really need to be able to do in order to act in these ways on behalf of the heart of God. So I looked on this and I thought, okay, what motivates us to be able to do that? Because if you're like me, you might think, oh, wow, I might lose my motivation. So the very last part here is these are some things that I thought about that I want to give to you for motivation. And then I'm going to let you guys talk about this. Number one, gratitude for God's holy character and that he chose us and relates to us in a certain way. Much of the premise of obedience is based upon the fact that we are grateful. If you are struggling to obey God, if there is something in your life that has laid a hold of you, or you're working with somebody who's really struggling with it, one of the elements that I think is incredibly important to activate motivation is to be grateful that God is working and changing in our lives. And that there's this this real interaction that's actually happening. This is the foundation of forgiveness. If I'm grateful for forgiveness, then God, then I'll be able to forgive others. Number two is the freedom from bondage, that we are free from sin with Christ's sacrifice. There are times um, that I have felt like I have not given enough emotional attention to the sacrifice of Christ. So let me just admit that to you as we get started with this part. Two years ago, I decided that it's part of my devotion I wanted to focus on the cross of Christ and me trying to get in touch with my appreciation and my thanks for Christ taking my place. And I have to confess to you that was hard for me. It happened so long ago. It happens in a way that we don't see it necessarily. And in my heart, if it's not right in front of me and I don't really see it, sometimes it's hard for me to attach to it. I don't know if that's true for you. But that was true for me. And so I started scouring the scriptures and I, I bought a, a, a cross, a little crucifix that I would be able to just use as a visualization. And I said, Lord, I need to be attached to you to be appreciative of this experience because this is my fundamental motivation right here. I don't want to trample on the blood of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 10. I don't want to act in a calloused way because I know that I can. I want to hold this in a sacred regard as a motivator that I would do the things that are difficult. And so I spent a good solid year 
working on that. I would grade myself as a C, maybe a C minus right now. This is hard. I'm not a big, deeply, emotionally connected individual. I'm an analytical person. I'm a great scientist. I'm not a super great, mushy, cry Valentine's person. And that has hindered my ability to embrace the majestic amazingness of the cross of Christ. If I could just be honest with you. That's one of the areas I'm trying to grow in. How are you doing with that yourself? With the appreciation of what he did. And the fact that he took for you the place that was reserved for people that did not choose God. And he's changing your life. And some of you are way more better emotionally adept at that. And I am jealous of you in that regard. Thank you for helping us to learn that. Number three, fairness and justice to everyone in society. You all have power. This is one of my prayers. Lord, help me to be fair and just. Help me to not just overlook people and not think about them because I might not have their needs. Uh, Number four, safety and security in neighborhoods. Am I really looking out after my neighbors? Am I really looking out for the betterment of the children on my street? Am I really paying attention to what's going on? Or do I just kind of go in my house and close the door and forget about it? Number five, food security through caring for people who are hungry. We're we're involved in feeding programs with this church. 25% of people in our neighborhoods go to bed hungry at night. We have what's called food insecurity in this part of the country. Um, There are lots and lots of hungry people. And because we eat, or maybe some of you in here are hungry, um, because so many people eat, we tend to overlook this. But this is about having an ear and a compassion. Uh, Number six, open hearts for immigrants because they uh, were not in their land with their people. My, uh, uh, my, My wife's sister married a man from Mexico who came as an illegal alien who is now a U.S. citizen. You would all like him. He's tremendously hardworking. He did it all the wrong way, but became a citizen. I don't have any answers for this, but I know his story, and I know that poverty drives people to desperation. And what I do here is I pray for people who are totally crushed by poverty. Sexual trafficking, horrific abuses, the desperation to break national, international laws can be driven by poverty. And so poverty alleviation and my heart to the poor, which Jesus said would always be with us, is what I'm looking at with this so that I could have the heart of God toward those who are being crushed in that way. Don't have any easy answers, but I certainly pray about it a lot and I do keep track of what's going on. And I just wonder how are we doing with that? I think sometimes we do better than others as a country and I want to do good with that. Seven, care for the old and disabled so they would not be afraid or abused. Imagine not having enough resources and not having a good enough physical body where you're afraid all the time that something bad could happen to you and you don't know what would happen. I want to have the kind of church where if that happens to somebody here, we're here to help them so they don't have to be afraid, even though they are, if you know what I mean. Uh, number, number eight, power used for the betterment of the community and not for the benefit of the powerful. Um, God emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself and came down and he considered himself nothing. And when he considered himself nothing, God empowered him to do what needed to be done because he was free from the love of money. He was free from the love of prestige. He was free from the love of needing to have approval for everybody else. He was free to be himself. Wouldn't it be amazing for you to be free to be who God wanted you to be in the image of God, free from the tyranny of all of those things? That's what this is talking about. Your power for the betterment of other people because you are free from the tyranny of wondering if they're going to like you. Some will and some won't. We just don't know which ones they will be. And some people will think you're amazing and other people will think you're ridiculous. Don't live your life with that. Empty, empty yourself in that regard from Philippians chapter two and use your power for the betterment. Number nine, when we act in these ways, we act like God. And number 10, I am Yahweh means loving God and loving your neighbor, loving others uh, from Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40, which are the two greatest commands. Here's what I want for you to do with tonight is I would like for you, it's it's 7.49, I'd like for you to take till eight o'clock And I'd like for you to talk on your tables as to what is the action point that you want to take from Leviticus, the spirit of Leviticus 19. There's way too much here for any one person to do. But what if the church of God, the people of God, mobilize themselves in these ways? We would get it all done somehow, some way. Because I can do one part, and if you do a part and another person does a part, more parts get done. So I'm I'm not concerned about what you might pick, but I'm just going to ask you, what do you want to do? 
as an action step in the spirit of the heart of God that you see in Leviticus 19 over the next couple of weeks that you can come back and share a story about. This is what I chose. This is what I did. This is what I think is going on as a result of that. And I want you to pick something, if I could dare so suggest, that might stretch you just a hair and make you a tad bit uncomfortable. Just a tad. Don't pick something that's so easy to do. You'll do it tonight and you'll be done with it and forget about it. Pick something that you really need the empowerment of the Lord because you feel a little bit uncomfortable as his ambassador in this way. And what, what, what might that be? If you can't decide tonight, then talk about the things that would make you uncomfortable. And ask for people to just say, hey, just help me to figure this out because I'm not really sure. My relationship with the McDonald's lady makes me feel uncomfortable. She's working. I'm a guy. She's a lady. I don't want anything bad to happen with that. It makes me a little uncomfortable, if I could be honest with you. My kindness toward a complete stranger that works at a business makes me uncomfortable. I think it's the right thing to do within the boundaries that are set. But I just want to be honest with you. It does. And I'd I'd appreciate your prayers that we, as a group, as we do this, would maintain our healthy boundaries as we set out to display the heart of God for God's creation with people who need that. So let me let you talk till eight o'clock and I will just close with a word of prayer. I'll just barge in over you and close with a word of prayer and we'll be done for the next two weeks. No class next week. Let's close out in prayer and we'll be done. Lord, we thank you for Leviticus chapter 19. We thank you that it displays your heart that is based on your character. That what you are trying to do is get us to see you more clearly and see how you love our creation. Lord, we know that Leviticus 19 is couched within the Old Covenant, but help us to see how these same truths um, are a part of your heart for people today in the areas that we can really implement as Christians right here, right now. We ask, Lord, for your wisdom and your grace to move forward, to take our one, maybe two action steps and really be able to do something with those over the next couple of weeks. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We dedicate ourselves to you. And we know that in so doing, we are saying that we want to be holy as you are holy, separate from the world, um, able to represent you to the people around us. Help for us, Lord, to live in the spirit of your heart in Leviticus 19, to really be separate and holy and to take the action that we have selected in order to serve and to demonstrate, to serve people and to demonstrate that you really are alive and that you really have made a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cochurch.com.